Give me a hallelujah if you need some Jesus today. All right. I'm excited for this message called The Victorious Life. This is one of those messages where um, I sort of earmarked it. I sort of create a folder of, you know what, this is a message that I'm probably going to need to preach again and again and again because it is really spoken to me. I know it's going to speak to you. Um, I wonder if you are actually living the victorious life right now, or is the world kicking your can all over the place, as the song goes? Sometimes we feel like we get a little beat up, you know? We're kind of entering these books in the Bible that talk about the battles that we face. And uh, even though in the Old Testament we see these are actually real physical wars, battles going on, oftentimes they have spiritual implications for you and me. These are spiritual battles that we face. And one of them happens to deal with uh, what we're going to talk about today and wanting to live this victorious life. I know a man who had a really rough childhood. In his childhood, his parents weren't very kind to him. Um, he had a very dysfunctional family life growing up. He got into trouble a lot in school, and he didn't really have direction in his life. But then he met a girl. <laughs> Don't they change everything for some men, right? And that was probably the first good thing that happened in his life. And as he began to have this relationship with her, um, she, turns out, was a Christian. And um, like many women, they think, think that they can change men. Um, and so unsuccessfully, though, she didn't do that because he had many demons inside, many troubles inside of him. Well, a breakthrough did happen later on in their relationship, and he did start going to church. In fact, he even got baptized. He um, felt the tug at God's heart, or God tugging on his heart, and he began to sort of turn his life around. But as many times in many of our lives, we may surrender our life to Jesus, we may get baptized, um, but we don't follow him. We don't live for him. We don't live the victorious life. He had some old habits that kept pulling him back. He had old friends that kept chirping in his ear. Inside of this man, there was a battle going on day after day after day. And some days he'd win, but most days he would lose. And this doesn't have a happy ending, because in the end, his family suffered as he suffered, and he died without ever really living the victorious life. And I know that you don't want that to happen to you, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to live the victorious life. And what that is, is what Jesus described as the abundant life, the spirit-filled life. So how do we do that? I think some of us listening today maybe may feel this way, like, I want this victorious life that you're talking about. I'm tired of losing those days to the battle of sin and those things that are overcoming me. In fact, you may have some friends that may feel this way too and that they need this victorious life. They've sort of just kind of been living this lukewarm Christian life as is described in Revelation. But if you want to win, like I want to win, who likes to win here? I like to win. Good. Lots of hands going up. I want to live the victorious life. I want to live the abundant life that's in Jesus Christ, and I know you do too. So if you're ready for that, if you're ready for some real spiritual food for your soul, then let's pray and let's dive into Joshua. Shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for your book. 
of Joshua, the life of Joshua, and that he was a leader, a glorious leader for your kingdom. Not only did he lead people into battle and to take the promised land, but this book is such a reminder for us that we need to live the victorious life, the spirit-filled life. Father, may the fruits of the spirit be evident in our own lives today, every single day. May we battle the way that you have called us to battle. May we prepare for that battle in the way you've called us to do that. And Father, may you reveal that to us today so we can understand and live the victorious life. In Jesus' name, everyone said. All right, so if you got your Bibles, and of course we always offer a free Bible, and they're way in the back of the building, uh, all the way under that clock, you can take a Bible. Remember, just like you're a kid, if you touch that cookie, you take that cookie. <laughs> so if you touch a Bible back there, take that Bible home. All right, maybe clean it up or something, I don't know, whatever. Spray some disinfectant on it if you want to bring it back. But anyway, open your Bibles to Joshua. Joshua's a hero in the Old Testament. Do you know his name really is a household name, became a household name in the Jewish families because um, of him. That's this, this, this very common name, right? Pronounced Hebrew, in Hebrew, I believe it's pronounced Yahshua, right? We, we say Joshua, but uh, the Hebrew name, and it kind of has different names like, you know, Robert would be Bob or Bobby and so on. Well, what does the name Yahshua mean? It means salvation, right? It means Jehovah is salvation. And guess who was named after Yahshua? Jesus. That's right. That's what his name means. Jesus means the same thing. Jesus is, uh, Jehovah is salvation. Now the story of Joshua is the story of the victorious life. The journey that those people were on 3,400 years ago it's the same journey that you're on today. All right? It's the same thing. If you think about it, they left slavery in Egypt, just like you left slavery of sin. Right? They crossed through the Red Sea. You got baptized, right, in the name of Jesus. But here's the thing that happened to them. They got stuck wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you find yourself right now getting stuck Quenching the Holy Spirit is the way it's described. Do you settle for living on the other side of the Jordan River, not in the promised land that God promised? Are you settling over there where some of the tribes did? I hope that you're not. I hope that you want to go into the promised land and live the victorious life. Because when God makes promises, He keeps them, He doesn't break His promises. But it's your job to take hold of them. You've got to get into that promised land. And if you're going to get in there and you're going to prepare to fight for what is yours, then you've got to know the only way to fight. There's only one way to fight. And that is the way to bring you victory. You must fight with God's might. You're going to see that up on the screen a lot. You must fight with God's might. I made it rhyme so you'll remember it. You must fight with God's might. You can't be strong and courageous with your own strength. That's what Joshua understood. That's what he heard from God. When you open up your Bible to Joshua chapter 1, you're going to see four times God speaking to Joshua, telling him to be strong and courageous. And he wasn't saying, Joshua, you need to work out more. (laughs) 
He wasn't saying more push-ups and sit-ups and curls for the girls. All right? He wasn't saying that to Joshua. Joshua didn't have a, a t-shirt that said, you know, sun's out, guns out, you know, and Hulk Hogan it. You know, he didn't do that. He got it. Keep his, he kept his shirt on. All right? The point was that if you're going to be strong and courageous, you need to fight with God's might. Not your own strength. You're never going to win the battles if you try to fight with your own strength. You just don't have it in you. That's what Joshua says at the very end of this, as we'll see in chapter 24. But one of the great lessons Joshua learned from Moses, because we're going to recall here that Joshua walked with Moses for many, many years. He was like Moses' right-hand man, Okay, in case you've forgotten that. And he learned from the best. And when Moses died, God's people followed Joshua. They followed Joshua just like they followed Moses. And we learned some great truths from this book. First of all, you should know that the book of Joshua is broken up into three simple parts. There's the first four chapters where they're going to enter the promised land. They're preparing to enter the promised land. Then, big meat of the book, five chapters 5 through 21, lots of battles. They're conquering the promised land. Okay? Then in the final three chapters, they're going to figure out how to protect the promised land how to live this victorious life. Now, what I like about Joshua, um, first of all, right off the bat, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1, is that God has a way of saying, let's go. All right, just like my son likes to say when uh, there's a sport, sporting event or whatever, let's go, let's go, all right? So he says, Moses, my servant is dead. This is God speaking. Now, therefore, Joshua, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Now, they went through the normal mourning time when Moses passed away. They mourned for him, right? They, they, they did all of that. But what God is saying is, all right, that's it. No more pity parties. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and go. Right? It's time. You've got to do what I've called you to do. These people are counting on you. Lead my people. Right? Maybe some of you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get up and go. Arise and go. Joshua 1, verse 3. Every place, God says, that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. God promised a victorious life. Let me ask you a question. Is there any sin that you can't overcome? The answer is no. No. There's nothing that you cannot overcome with God's strength. God promises you that. He can help you overcome everything. He doesn't break his promises, too. Joshua 1, verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Some of the New Testament writers said the same words, quoting Joshua here. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. That's God. God doesn't break his promises. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't abandon you. I don't know what's happened in your life, right? I know that some of you probably feel abandoned by different people in your life, but I'm telling you, I promise you, God doesn't do that. He doesn't break his promises. Verse 7, he says, Be strong and very courageous. 
being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So what he's saying to him, you want success? What's the secret to success? Fight with God's might. Not your own strength, but with my strength. Verse 8, the book of the law. Okay? We don't uh, fight like some uh, people like to fight when they're all muscle, right? All brawn, no brains, <laughs> right? Is going to battle, ah, crazy, right? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you got to do this smart. He says right here in verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Always reminds me of Psalm 119, verse 105. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's right. The word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The word lights it up for you. We want to know which way to go in your life right now? The Word tells you. God's Word tells you. Maybe that's all you needed to hear this morning, was just that. A simple reminder. God has a promise for you, and you need to take hold of it. You need to stop listening to lies. Stop that stinking thinking. God's plan for you is to win, and your best life possible is when you fight with, let me hear you, God's might. That's right. Now, we're not going to stop there. I know you want more. I know you need more. So we're going to go to this thought, this question. The number one reason why people don't live the victorious life. What's the number one reason people don't live the victorious life? Why people don't overcome their sin? Why they don't see spiritual fruit in their life like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Why don't people see that in their life? Why aren't they living the victorious life? It's a four-letter word. Fear. That's right. Fear. There's an acrostic for that. False evidence appearing real. Fear. False evidence appearing real. I want to show you why the Israelites did not take the promised land 40 years prior to Joshua, when they were supposed to. What kept them out, wandering in the wilderness? Fear. Moses sent 12 men into the promised land, one for each tribe. There were 12 tribes in Israel. And they went in, 12 men went in, right? They spied out the land. And what did they see in this promised land that God wanted to give to them? They saw it was a land flowing with milk and honey. That's right. They had fruit. They had everything that they, they couldn't even imagine how wonderful this place was. Now, ten men came back and reported this in Numbers 13, verses 27 and 28. They told the people, boy, just think about the anticipation, right? Really, two million people waiting for 12 to come back. And here, what's this like? What's this new place, this new home we're going to? What's it like? And ten guys come back and they say, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. They brought back the fruit. I mean, this must have been like, wow. I mean, they hadn't seen this. Forty years they've been in the desert. They saw cactuses, right? (laughs) 
They haven't seen much. However, he said, these ten men said, the people who dwell in the land are strong. False evidence appearing real. The cities are fortified and they're very large. Jericho had massive walls, impregnable walls surrounding the city. And besides, we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak there. Ten men, totally afraid. False evidence appearing real. Two men said, "Uh uh-uh. Caleb and Joshua. Two men said, Numbers 14, verses 8 and 9. Caleb and Joshua says, If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and He will give it to us. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But the majority ruled. The majority ruled. And for 40 years, those adults died wandering in the wilderness. Just like that story of the man I told you about. They died in the wilderness. They never took hold of the victorious life. What a sad ending. But their children grew up in that desert and God, He continues on with His promise. And I love this part because this is such validation for Caleb and Joshua. They had to wait 40 years for this validation. But you know what? For some of you, this is the same validation that you need to hear right now. Because for some of you, you've been afraid. You've been living in fear of some obstacle, of something that you don't think you can overcome, and you keep, it keeps holding you back. But I'm telling you right now, this is what you're going to find out once you get past it. Once you get back there. Because they sent in the... Um, spies. Joshua sent in spies. Guess how many he sent? He's not dumb. (laughs) He wasn't sending 12 again. He sent in two. Right? He sent in two because that's all it needed last time. Right? And two, by the way, the law says, is enough to satisfy. Right? Two people's testimony is sufficient. The spies go into the land these two spies, and they meet a very unlikely helper. A prostitute named Rahab. She helps these two men, right? You can read it for yourself, but I want you to hear what she says in Joshua 2 that brings this validation to these two men, Joshua and Caleb, who said 40 years ago, this is our land, let's go. And everybody else said, no, we're afraid. I'm scared. They're big. They're giants. They're like Pastor Matt. They're like 6'4". But bigger. They're like 9 foot tall. Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. This is Rahab talking to these two men. We heard about you guys. The water in the Red Sea, you crossed through that and you came out of Egypt. And then what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan, Sion and Og, who were devoted to destruction. We heard it, verse 11, 
and our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Forty years ago, God defeated these people in Jericho, in this promised land. They were already defeated. But they didn't walk into the promised land and take it. They were afraid. Fear kept them out. What a sad, sad state for them. But now, here we are, 40 years later, and it's time to get into this promised land. But this, my friends, is a warning to us all. We don't walk by faith. We walk. No, we do walk by faith. (laughs) We don't walk by sight. (laughs) Don't walk by sight. Don't look Oh my gosh, look how big they are. There's no way I can overcome that. This is too much. I've failed before. I'm never going to do it. You don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. Right? That's what the Word teaches us. What are you fearing today? God's already won the battle. Time to step foot into the promised land. But remember, you're not fighting with your own strength. You're fighting with God's might. That's right. Now, check this out. Before they can get into the promised land, there's some things that need to take place. Because um, there's, first of all, thousands of people, soldiers, going to go into battle, right? And they need to cross the Jordan River. They're on the other side of the Jordan River. And it's flood season. The scripture tells us that. It's flood season. Scholars say that during the flood season, the Jordan River could be as much as a mile wide. It's not short. Now, I know this is, to me, this is miracle number one. This is legit miracle number one, right? And I know that in times past, some people have have, uh, documented that the Jordan River has stopped up for a certain time period, but it wasn't during flood season when it happened, right? And I don't feel the need to take some natural event to explain what here is clearly a supernatural event. God is going to stop up this huge river so these people can walk through it. That's just miracle number one. The second one that we won't even talk about today that I won't get a chance to talk to is when God made the sun stand still. Um, But that's a a different um, conversation. But get this, okay? Don't miss this, my friends. Don't miss it. Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. When did God part the Jordan River? When did he stop up the waters Verse 13, and when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. When were the waters cut off? When they stepped foot into the Jordan River. When they took a step of faith. Friends, you got to get your feet wet. you got to get your feet wet. you got to step out in faith. I understand. Your fear is real to you. I get that. You may have failed a lot. You may not think and believe you can overcome, but you need, I insist that you step out in faith and get your feet wet. If you do that, I promise you, you will see what God can do. You will see what He can do. And it's one thing. You've got to get this. This is the point of, of this Joshua, the victorious life. It's one thing to cross the Red Sea 
which symbolizes your baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. But it's entirely another to cross the Jordan River and live the victorious life, the spirit-filled life. There's a lot of people these days, I believe, a lot of Christians who think that that's all there is to religion. Oh, I, I go through these, these rituals and I get baptized and, and I might go to church when I want to feel good or feel better or I feel bad and I want to you know, get some forgiveness. That's not the victorious life. No, that's wandering in the wilderness. You can go through the Red Sea and get baptized, but you need to go through the Jordan River and go live in the promised land because that's where it's at, my friends. That's the victorious life. That's the best life you can possibly live. That's a great life. And that's where you get to be strong and courageous because you fight with God's might. Now, a couple things happen as they cross the Jordan River. It's really neat. I call this the rock of our salvation because Joshua said we're going to set up a couple memorials. And they consisted of 12 stones, one for each tribe. One of those memorial little pillars of stone stacked up, if you will, kind of visualize 12 stones all stacked up, is um, one was set up in the middle of the Jordan River and one was set up on the banks of the Jordan River in the Promised Land. Now, what's the purpose of the first memorial? set up in the middle of the Jordan where the priests stood as they passed through. The priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They walked into the water. They stepped out in faith. The waters parted. They walked into the middle. They stood there as everybody passed through. Jesus Christ stands in the middle and is a bridge for you to walk from death to life. That's the first memorial. The second one is they set up the stones on the bank of the promised land. In the promised land, they would have those stones set up there, and as time would go on, they would see those, and their children would see those, and their children would say, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, what do those stones mean? And they would recap the whole journey that they've been on, their whole faith journey, before they were even alive, when, when their ancestors were living in Egypt, slaves to the Egyptians and how they left there and went through the desert and through the Red Sea and wandered in the wilderness and now they came through the Jordan River and now they're here. And they would tell them that. They would remember that. And what, is that, what does that mean to you today? What is the second memorial? What, what, what do Christians do to remember their faith journey? They take, we take communion. Communion helps us remember what God has done for us. A constant reminder of what Jesus has done. Now they crossed the Jordan, and there is three things to do, which is great. Great preparation for the battles that lie ahead. First of all, there is the circumcision. Now, you know the Jewish people had a promise when it started with Abraham. And the people had to be circumcised. The men had to be circumcised. It was an act of uh, faith because God promised Abraham, there's a promised land I want to give to you, right? There's, there's, there's a great um, nation that will come from you, you and Sarah, right? And, and it did, it happened. And this huge, you know, this huge land is all yours. 
But the tradition was, you need to get circumcised. But here's the thing, they didn't get circumcised in the wilderness. For 40 years, those people had children and didn't circumcise them. So like, like they kind of like stopped doing that. Well now, here they are in the promised land, and they get circumcised. But here's what you got to understand. This isn't about the actual physical act of cutting away of the flesh. It never meant that. Moses even explains it in Deuteronomy 30. Paul explains it in Romans 2, which I'll read to you in a second. It's not about the circumcision of the flesh. It's all about the heart. It's circumcision of the heart. It's not trusting in your flesh. Cut it away. Don't put your faith in your flesh. Surrender your heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For no one is a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. You must give up on your flesh. Your flesh is weak. You must surrender your heart. This is a spiritual battle for the victorious life. Are you with me? Say amen. All right. Second, there was the Passover. The Passover. They, they did this every year. What well, was the Passover? Well, recall, the angel of death when they were in Egypt in their homes. The angel of death is the last plague. Wiped out every firstborn male in every family unless they had sacrificed the lamb taken the blood, wiped it on the doorpost, their front door, and the angel of death would pass over those homes, spare the life of those firstborn males. So they would celebrate the Passover. They would remember it because it was the blood of the lamb that saved them and delivered them. And it is the blood of Christ that saves you today, which is why we participate in communion. We eat the bread, we drink the cup. Those are symbols of the great sacrifice and so therefore, we must come to God, we must prepare for battle with a humble, thankful heart. You need a surrendered heart and a humble, thankful heart. Third preparation. The manna ends and the fruit begins. See, I love this part because growing up, my mom bought cornflakes all the time for us. And if you want to know what manna is like, Think of cornflakes, all right? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 40 years, cornflakes. I hated cornflakes growing up. It takes 30 seconds before those things are soggy and disgusting. How many of you ate cornflakes growing up, all right? If you still like them today, I'm sorry for you, okay? You get to the end, and I can't even drink the milk because those soggy things are floating in there. It's not Cocoa Puffs, right? When you get to the end of Cocoa Puffs, you got chocolate milk, right? <laughs> this is a good thing. But cornflakes, for 40 years, it never satisfied them. Manna sustained them for 40 years. It didn't satisfy them. And now, for the first time, they are going to eat fruit. The manna ended after Passover. And now they get to eat fruit, grapes. Figs, honey. Can you imagine the looks on their faces when they're eating this? You see, this is the taste of victory. See, they don't, they're not there yet, but this is a little taste of victory. And you see, that's what some of us need. Some of you need that. 
You need a little taste of victory. You need to win a little battle so you can win the big battles. That's the heart that you need, a victorious heart. So let me review it for you. Let me make it, try to make it as practical as I can. You got to get your feet wet. You got to start walking by faith, right? And you always remember who's standing in the middle, who's bridging the gap for you. Jesus Christ. He's your intercessor. He's praying for you right now, right? He's the one who brought you from death to life. He gives you eternal life. And you got to prepare because every day is a battle. And you got to prepare. You got to have a surrendered heart. You got to have a thankful heart. And you got to have a victorious heart, right? That, that little edge of confidence that seems like some people have. Like, I don't go play a game of basketball against somebody and think the whole time I'm going to lose. No. I always think I'm going to win, right? I got that little edge of confidence. And you know what? It's partly because I've tasted victory before. I know what it's like. And I like to win. Do you like to win? That's the heart that you have to have. But once you are righteously prepared, all all prepared, now it's time you just trust in your gut and you come up with your own game plan. No, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said. Don't ever do that. It's not your game plan. You've got to seek the Lord. As you read through Joshua, you should have read that there were some people in there, the Gibeonites, that fooled them. Why? Because they didn't inquire of the Lord. They saw what they saw. They didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't seek the Lord. Don't do that, right? Now, we don't have enough time to get into the battles, all right? But I'm going to save that for Facebook Live uh, Bible study this Wednesday at 7.30. But I'm going to leave you with this important truth. I believe today I've shown you, through this book of Joshua, God wants you to have a victorious life. You can't listen to this message and not think anything else. God wants the best life for you. He wants a victorious life. Now, you may have some weird conjured up idea what that is, okay, because we live in America and it's the land of, right, the free and the home of the brave, and you, you might think that that involves you driving a Porsche or a Lamborghini or whatever. I don't know. I don't think that you're that naive, though. I'm looking at a lot of people who understand what the victorious life is, and it is a spirit-filled life. It's winning the battles. It's overcoming the sin and all the different things that I'm going to talk about on Wednesday, the battles that we face. But I want you to understand something, okay? Um, You may tell God, I want this. You may pray today, God, I need this victorious life. I need to overcome. I need to win. I want a better life. But I'm going to tell you what Joshua told these people, because they said the same thing to him. These people said, we want it. We want this victorious life. We want to win these battles. But Joshua said to them, in fact, he gave them an ultimatum. He says in verse 15, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And you all know this part. But as for me and my house, we will Serve the Lord. We have that plaque right above our door. Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now you may say that, but will you do it? Will you choose God and serve him only? 
Lots of people say, oh, I follow Jesus, oh, I'm a Christian, I swear to my heart, I walk by faith, not by sight. You can say it all, all any way you want to say it. But are you living it? Are you walking with him? Because in Joshua 24, 19, Joshua says to them flat out, you're not able to serve the Lord. He's a holy God. He calls them out. And they're like, well, no, we're, we're going to do it for real. And then he, he, does, he goes one step further. He's like, well, we're going to make sure. We're going we're gonna to establish a covenant, a promise right now. Are you serious or what? You don't see too many preachers doing that. <laughs> you know, give an altar call. Somebody comes up and says, I want to give my life to the Lord. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> but maybe we should. Because we get so excited when people cross the Red Sea. I've never been that person. I've always felt like so strongly about, you know what, I am excited. Somebody made a, a confession of faith. You know, I, I hear lots of pastors will say, you know, oh yeah, we had, you know, 20 people raise their hand in service, say they're going to give their life to Christ or surrender their life to Christ. And I think that's wonderful. I'm not taking anything away from them. But I want to know who's living the victorious life. Who's winning the battles day after day. Because that's what we need. We need people to walk with them, to shepherd them, and love them. It, it, it's a battle. Your spirit is willing. But guess what? Your flesh is weak. And God knows that about you. And you know that about yourself. Because some of you have been on this little roller coaster of a ride for a long time. Right? You lose those battles. But you know what? You know the answer now. Joshua tells you. You've got to fight with God's might. As soon as you start trying to win these battles on your own, with your own strength, you won't do it. So guess what? The next time you lose a battle to sin, the next time you find yourself not walking with the Lord, it clicks for you because you remember this message. You remember that catchy saying that Pastor Matt said, right? You must fight with God's might. Maybe you remember a story. Maybe something happens. Maybe you see a box of cornflakes in the store and it reminds you, oh yeah, I just messed up. I just lost that battle. Well, here's what I want you to do. Remember, God gives you strength. God makes you strong and courageous. God wants you to win. God will help you win. And you can. And the best part of this story is, it does have a happy ending. In the end of Joshua, Joshua 24, 31, Israel, the people of Israel, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work the Lord did for Israel. They did it. They lived the victorious life in the promised land, and so can you if you be strong and courageous and you fight with God's might. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for, for just everything you have blessed us with in this world. Lord, most of all, what you have blessed us with that oftentimes we overlook is your Holy Spirit. For you have given us your Holy Spirit. And in us dwells you. That's how we win. When we trust in your Spirit, when we walk by your Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit grows in our life, develops in our life. It comes because we are willing to surrender to you, as Jesus taught in that garden to the disciples. His last lesson, God's going to prune you. He's going to cut away those things in your life that don't 
You don't need. You don't matter. You need to trust me. You need to stay connected to me. Because I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stick with me. Stay close to me. And you will develop fruit. In Jesus' name I pray.